Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Moments, a podcast that celebrates parenthood to the fullest. The smallest victories, the messiest failures, and the bravest decisions. This week, I'm on the road recording on the fly. We're talking to a pair of friends who embody Black mom magic. One of them is an actress, the other is a media executive. Together, they're the founders of Sugarberry and hosts of the podcast, The Sugar. And of course, they're both incredible moms. It's Elle's mom, Tika Sumter, and Niall's mom, Ty Randolph. Welcome, Tika and Ty. All right, well, thank you both for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Um, I walk into Layla's school. That's my daughter, 12 years old. And everyone says Layla's mom. So I want to first start with your kids because that is our identity. Once you have kids, you are so-and-so's mom. So (laughs) first I will start with you, Ty. Can you tell me a little bit about your child, your family? Well, first, thanks for having us. Like so excited about this conversation. Huge fan. My son's three. His name is Niall. I'm in Cobb. He's actually on his way um, to children's urgent care to get a stitch in his forehead because he just jumped off the bed. (laughs) He's okay. He's fine. (laughs) Um, But it it tells you what it's like to have a three-year-old boy running around like a crazy person all the time. So um, it's it's me, him, my husband, Latif. And uh, I always try to share super briefly the story of how he came because he's my miracle baby. I, you know, went to go freeze my eggs several years ago, found out that my whole fertility prognosis was not the best. In fact, it seemed at the time the worst. Kind of was thrust into this IVF process, two failed rounds of IVF. And then, um, you know, once we had all but given up, he just showed up unassisted. And so um, that was three years and change ago now. Yeah. Hi. Thank you so much for having us, Candace. Also a fan of yours. And um, yeah, I have a daughter who is four going on 14 and she her name is Ella Loren and she is pretty uh, she's all over the place. One minute she tells uh, my fiance Nick in the car they're listening to house music. She's like, this is the kind of music that Jesus was playing in heaven. <laughs> she she, was in, she must have been somewhere before she got here. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just us. And she's about to start kindergarten. So super excited for that journey. And uh, so I, I haven't been identified as just Ella's mom yet, but I have been a, a identified as a pretzel lady from Sonic from all her little friends. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely (laughs) love it. The inside joke on this show is basically that your parents can humble you, but your kids humble you even more. So just as working parents, what has that balance been like for both of you all before you had children? Then also when you become a parent and now you are 
responsible for this other being? Because I know, you know, being a working mom is very difficult to balance both. You know, it's one of the things that really drew Tika and I to each other as, as business partners in, you know, the company that we co-founded, Sugarberry. Sugarberry was Tika's idea. It was her baby. And we were introduced by a mutual friend and she was getting ready to start the business. And I had been working in tech and entertainment for some time and, you know, kind of scaling digital businesses and companies. So they thought, so we were introduced so I could give her some advice. And I said, don't do it. <laughs> it's really hard <laughs> to launch media companies. Um, but in talking to her, she actually conveyed this vision in this need state that was about how, you know, she had fashioned herself a careerist and she could tell you more about it and how she wanted to hold on to her identity, right? Um, as more than just a mom after this, but also that how her experience had um, in becoming a mother, she really found that black women weren't allowed these spaces, right? And we weren't allowed to parent with nuance and we were caring for everyone and everyone and who was caring for us. And I was like, oh my God, you're speaking my language. Like this, I'd be your, your first customer is, is what I said. And that's how we ended up partnering because I felt so seen by everything that she said. Like when I had my son, I was 36. I had already been married for several years and um, always super independent. I always say when I got married, nothing changed about our relationship. When I had a kid, everything changed about our relationship. And so- the balance has been hard. One of the things on our podcast, The Sugar, we talk constantly about how elusive the concept of balance is. And at best, you're integrating the two. One always seems to be a little bit underserved. And that's just the reality of it, because you can only be in so many places at, at, at one time. And what's been hugely comforting to me is to have both a partner and a friend like Tika, who I can call and, and be like, Girl, I don't have it in me today. Like, I gave it all to work. Like, I, I don't want to play Paw Patrol. I don't want to do it. But then at the same time, my son said, this is like a couple months ago now, he was, uh, he was, you know, talking about friendships. He says, dad's my best friend. And I was like, oh, and what about mommy? And he said, your computer is your best friend. <laughs> and that was a gut punch. So I did at that time say, you know what, when I'm with him in the evenings, I'm going to close it down. So while I don't think I've achieved balance, I am trying to set up some clear boundaries. I was just talking to Nick last night and I was like, gosh, I wish I was more like Ella. She's so logical in some ways. Like I last night putting her to bed, I kind of lost it on her and like yelled at her. And she was just like, and we were praying, doing our like nightly prayers. And she's like, God, I wish she had more joy and happiness and, <laughs> and, and treated my dad and myself better. And I looked at her and I was like, and then afterwards she goes, mom, what I go, Ella. I, and it made me apologize. I said, I apologize. I was really frustrated. And she said, well, I don't want you to be frustrated. And then she tried to like, she asked, so where, when did we start fighting? And I'm like, oh my God, I would never, I would usually just ignore a person and move on. And so- like literally it humbled me because I'm like, girl, you need to get your act together, even in my own friendships. <laughs> and like even the way she handled it, you know, like she didn't yell back. She was just really hurt. And so one, they humble you Two, they show you who you are and they hold up a mirror. And I think that's basically what our kids constantly do to us. And and. Whew, that is a whole other balancing act. So again, we can do everything. We, can, we can't do it all at once. And, and our kids are constantly holding up mirrors to us to be better. It's so interesting because I think that there's stories like that. And the more we talk about it, 
I think the more brings to light because you think you're the only one. I remember, you know, trying to tell my daughter, she had just played a board game with my, my nieces and she was over in the corner crying. And I walked over to her and I was like, we don't cry when we lose. Like we don't cry. And she looked me in my eye and was like, but you did. And then started trying to scroll on my phone to show me when I cried, when we lost. And so kids have a way of really humbling you. And like you said, showing you who you are, but also the things that you need to change of, of how things have always been, Mm -hmm. you know, the conversations surrounding the dinner table are a lot different now. Um, I feel like we're a lot more open and it's not anything that's negative about our parents' generation. I just think now we're more open. What are some of those things that you all have seen as African-American women change? What, Mm. what conversations are you now having that you maybe didn't have at the dinner tables when you were little? Oh my gosh. Well, one, the idea of conversation, because it was grown folks are talking. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Um, I was, I was visiting my mom in South Carolina. Um, and my son said something to her, like he was, she was getting ready to give him a bath and he's like, don't touch my penis. And she's like, what? (laughs) So, and she's like, I wasn't going to touch your penis. Why is he saying penis? I'm like, that's what it is. And they're teaching them boundaries. Like we don't have code words, but what was interesting was Mm. I have, a um, a niece who's, um, I guess, seven now, who's growing up in in my mom's house. She lives with my mom and, and my my stepdad, and, and and her mom lives with them. But she wasn't using the same language, right? Like she was saying, you know, my privates. And I had to have a whole conversation with my mom about, yeah, I know this is how we grew up, but this is actually how you protect your children, and mm. they're really smart, and there's nothing wrong with this. And by the end of that visit, she was making sure that my niece was using the right words to, you know, to, to describe her body parts. But those are things that are just generational, not right, not wrong, but just sort of the evolution of our perspectives in parenting. Every time I go home, it's kind of like that. Your parents hold up a mirror, too, right, of how far you've come or what you're doing wrong. Because my mom will look at me. Like, oh, you're going to let him say that to you? <laughs> no, but here's the thing, too grandmas when they're moms like the things that my daughter does with my mom i'm like mom do you realize that i would have been grounded for two weeks because of what you just let layla do like i don't i don't understand so yes the same way they're looking at us like i'm looking at them like we would have never got away with that right they're tired child they're like we ain't got it we don't have it it's almost like the last child that they have gets away with everything they're like Life has moved on. And I think also like um, talking about your feelings is very different, you know, like what they feel and if they're sad and why, you know, not just kind of like, look, I'll give you something to cry about if you keep crying. It's really going inside, like asking what's wrong. And I feel like when I hear kids able to identify, they're able to express themselves more even to adults and say what's really going on in in whatever situation that is. And I I find it with Ella a lot. And so I think it's really helped us. And even when I want to be like, girl, if you don't stop, (sighs) you know, (laughs) so yeah, I think expressing feelings. I want to dive a little bit more into your baby, Sugarberry. Like I, I've, I really do think that there is a space, um, in a time period now where there's a perfect storm where we're all having these conversations and realizing that the way things have always been, the way things have always been set up is not necessarily the way things should always be. 
and we're trying to open up more opportunities and doors for people that look different. So I know you went into it a little bit, Ty, but I really want to hear from you, Tika, about starting this journey. And what was the realization that there was a space that needed to be filled for Black women that were mothers? Yeah. Well, I mean, like almost, I think over five years ago, I'm just like sitting on my couch and I have this, you know, child that I don't know inside of me. And Ty said it earlier, we're all kind of careerist and people who have went after our careers hard. And for me, I never really, it was always that like, oh yeah, I'll have a child someday, you know, one day. And then it happened. And it was like, when I looked around me and I saw people who look like me or I Googled or whatever, it was like black moms. It was all about death, doom, and destruction, to be honest. And it didn't feel hopeful. It didn't feel joyful. It didn't feel like we had the, um, the audacity to talk about our vaginas and talk about things that are like fun and sex toys and all these things. It was just very much like, you're going to die by this time, or you're going, if you're divorced, if you, if your parents are divorced, you're going to probably be divorced. You're just all these kind of negative things. And it was like, I know that there's a world with us in it where there's joy. And I know there are people who are in proximity to me who are living good lives and beautiful lives and sometimes hard lives, but there's a lot of different things besides just destruction going on and doom and gloom. And so I, I was like, I want to create this community and I want to create this this world in which black women thrive and not just survive. And, and that's when we, Ty and I got together to talk about what that looks like fully. The initial mission was for Brown Mom's Guide to Sweet Life. And it since has morphed. What has, has this initial thought and project and mission statement um, morphed into? It's interesting because Tika and I always taught one thing we said because of my own journey to motherhood was that this was never going to be a club that you needed a baby to get into, right? Because there are a few values that we have, and we believe that Black women lead from the center of our communities, right? Mom or not. And we've been holding up every social cause, every underserved person's plight, including our own. And so I think there is just this acknowledgement of the the weight that has been placed on and the responsibility that so many Black women assume in caring for others and also an acknowledgement that that's not really our burden, right? It's not our job to look out for everyone and who's looking out for us. So in doing so, that really evolved. So the more conversations that we had, the more initiatives that we launched with the company, we started to use different language. And we said, you know, our mission is to realize a world where Black women's care comes first. And that for us felt very revolutionary and where she or where we are able to prioritize ownership of our health, our wealth, and our pleasure. And there's so much that's downright political in those statements, right? Because it it sounds obvious, but how many messages do we get back in the world every day? How many signals that we do we get that we're not deserving of care? That the idea of talking about Black women and pleasure, those just aren't conversations that are had. This isn't about, and by the way, we talk about really serious things. We've talked about every gamut of every facet of health and wellness and finances, but Often these conversations are just about us living the sweetest life we can live. And it's pretty audacious to do that because everything you hear about Black women, everything that we've been shown ourselves in the media, even often the images that we perpetuate of ourselves because it's what's being bought is of this strong Black woman archetype and where you don't feel pain, you don't break down. And that's why even as you looked at what happened with the Olympics recently, 
everyone was awestruck by the idea of what, that black women had feelings, that black women had vulnerabilities, that black women get tired. It's like, who are you to do so? And, 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 and Tika was very deliberate from the beginning in saying, not only are we going to go here, but we're going to do it in a way that feels beautiful and soft and elegant because black women are deserving of that. And that's really been the art. And the deeper I get into motherhood, especially when it's trips to urgent care and potty training, and you really have to hold on to that identity. This has been such a refuge for me, right? Like such a treat. Like it's been my gateway to therapy. Doing the podcast even got me into therapy. And we've had so many women, like when we read the reviews, people who write in say, I realized that I could, I have different paths to parenthood now, or I'm taking more time for myself, or I feel so much more empowered to do this thing. And that to us is what this, this work is all about. And in doing that work, has there been an event, a conversation or something? Because I know like something that sticks out to me when I'm, when I'm playing you know, I, I grew up in the Chicagoland area and Michael Jordan was, I think, everybody's hero. Mm-hmm. And he said that the reason why he plays is because there's one person in the arena that has never seen him play. And so he has to prove to that person that he's the greatest. Mm-hmm. Um, within your platform, has there been an experience that you've had or a story that you've had that has really impacted even the way that you carry yourself or you mother or you parent or you, you're a friend within the community? Yeah, I think um, for me, it was, you know, starting this podcast, I was kind of hesitant because, you know, you have to be freely who you are, right? Like, because you're basically letting people into the house, you're letting people into your vulnerabilities. And as an actress, you're like, wait, I want people to see the character. I don't, first of all, and we're in a whole other social media age where everybody thinks they know everything about you. And so for me, letting my guard down and sharing my pleasures, sharing my pains, sharing my joys and and my burdens and all those things, I think has been a huge entry for people to get to know me and my path to who I am and to motherhood. And I think what our community has allowed me to do is let my hair down, right? We always say, we want you to let your hair down and be yourself. I personally got to do that and get to do that and not feel scared anymore, right? I feel like I can be completely me and people are like, oh my gosh, me too. I'm so happy you said that. I just feel like it has allowed me to not just be an actor, not just be a producer, but just be part of the community for real, for real, right? And let people in. And so once I am like, oh, you know what? Yeah, this happened to me and I made a fool of myself or I did this wrong or I did that. I feel like other people are like, you did too? I'm like, mm-hmm, we're all exactly human. So I think if anything, it's just made me more human. Hi, has there been a situation that has really impacted you within the community that you've built there? So many. I can't tell you, if you listen to any of the podcasts, like if you listen to three, you probably can't get through five without hearing one of us cry <laughs> at some point. <laughs> and it's not because it's sad, right? Sometimes they're, you know, tears of joy. But when we were starting this, um, the company who we use for accounting and business management is run by a Black woman who has, who's a grandmother. And when I was describing the idea to her, she said, I'm so excited about what you're doing. It sounds like what you're saying, you're trying to illuminate that there, there's a whole spectrum of right answers, right? There's no one way to parent. And these conversations that we have, the work that we've done, we did a breastfeeding summit, for instance, um, 
last year during National Breastfeeding Week. And I only breastfed for um, a month. And it was because of a number of reasons about medical issues my son had, my milk supply, the frustration of it all. But I had written that off. I had also, I had my child be a C-section. So I always thought I was going to have to have a C-section again if I ever, you know, wanted to have another baby because I had a myomectomy. In that breastfeeding conference, we were talking to um, uh, Latham, Latham Thomas. Thomas. Mm-hmm. We talked to so many breastfeeding advocates. We talked to doulas. And during the conversation, it changed my whole mind about what the experience could be like. It painted so many different possibilities of how a birthing experience could be that I said I felt so much more empowered. I felt even hopeful, right, of going through the process again because I'd kind of written it off. And if we hadn't had that conversation in that forum over those few hours, I never would have. And one that I will stick with me forever was when we had a fertility specialist on and we had several people write in afterwards that this had either saved their lives, transformed their lives. They had a different path to try. And those were really resonant because I remember being in a void when I was going through it and I had nothing. I had no one telling me what was possible. And even when I was at the fertility clinic that I could afford because I was at a tech company where my fertility benefits were covered, I didn't see anybody else who looked like me. So the possibility of it happening for me or being successful, there was so much shame. There was so much doubt associated with it. And the idea that we were talking freely about this with women who look like us, who are our age, who come from you know similar socioeconomic backgrounds, and to hear people say, okay, now I feel better about this process, which I personally know to be so lonely, that's life-changing to me. That goes beyond any business proposition. That feels like this is just a part of the purpose, the thing that we were supposed to be here to do. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome to our Capital One Cafe Break. Each week, we'll chat with a Capital One parent about their relationship with family and finances. Today, we're talking with Marty McDonald, founder of Boss Women Media. Welcome, Marty. I first and foremost want to say congratulations on your newest edition. How has that been? Well, first of all, it has definitely been a whirlwind, right? Being a mom, being an entrepreneur, it is not a task that is easy for anyone, but women do it all the time. Her strength, her bravery, her determination are all things that I desire for her to embody as she continues to to grow and develop as as a, a baby to a young woman. Well, it sounds like she encompasses all the qualities that her mom possesses. Can you tell everyone a little bit about Boss Women Media? You know, Boss Women Media is um, it's my it's my first child. We create experiences through the lens of brands who are looking to connect with um, African American, millennial, Gen Y, Z, and X women. I um, started off as just a corp a, a woman who worked in corporate. America, didn't see myself, didn't see possibilities for myself. And so I created a space that could lean into women, that could give them resources, tools, um, community to truly help our community make impact for generations to come. You know, I, I myself have, have had a partnership with, with Capital One um, for the last coming months, and it's been about sharing. It's about having those tough conversations. And I know, um, you know, Boss Women Media has had that partnership with Capital One as well. So how has that experience been like just kind of sharing and really talking about the things that 
we don't really talk about in corporate America a lot. Capital One has been one of our premier partners. I'll never forget the day that I was going into Capital One to pitch this Black Girl Magic tour. And when I went into the room and I pitched this idea, it was a woman who looked like me, who could resonate with my story, is who carried my messaging on to her partners in the organization. So I'm forever grateful for Capital One for just trusting my vision to be able to carry it out, to bring tools to women. But what are some of the challenges of now having a daughter to care for, being a mother, being a working parent, and then also being an entrepreneur as well? I believe the biggest lesson that I personally learned through the lens of my daughter was about advocacy. See, I didn't really have anybody advocating for me in corporate America, right? I had to advocate for myself. What I learned through just being a new mom is that the world will put your child in a box of what they want your child to be. My biggest lesson is advocating for her. Especially around the African-American community, around women, we don't talk about money as much as we should. And so I think now we're able to have more of those conversations with our children. So just at Boss Women Media, what are those conversations like surrounding helping people understand how to take care of their money and how to better themselves financially? The playing field is not the same. We're not on an equal playing ground as a Black woman, as a person of color. I've had an opportunity to be in some spaces and places that um, I've been able to gain some sort of wealth for for my family, right? But uh, unfortunately, I'm the first. And so I think it's just so important for me to instill in not only my community, but in my daughter, the how. How do you create generational wealth? What does that look like? So often we think of wealth as like the money that we have in our 401k, but sometimes your wealth is your happiness, Your wealth is your state of mind and being. Your wealth is your health. We're all a blend of multiple roles, constantly juggling careers with family, side hustles, and community obligations. We're often so busy just reacting that important things like planning our finances tend to fall by the wayside. That's exactly why Capital One opened cafes all around the country. Capital One Cafes are more than just a coffee shop or a bank. They're built to be centers of well-being for the community. They provide space for you to take a moment for yourself. Capital One believes financial well-being is made possible by everyday well-being. And that's why I've been so proud to partner with them to bring the cafe to you through their online experience. They have helpful videos, tips, and interviews with other amazing people who can help us learn how to find balance in our lives. So make sure to come and visit CapitalOneCafeEvents.com. Hey, welcome back to Moments with Candace Parker. And I think through those stories, when you're able to see people, like you said, that look like you, that you can lean on and and depend on um, and get information. Because honestly, we don't know what we don't know. And we also don't know who else is going through whatever we're going through if we don't talk about it. Yeah. How have you both kind of leaned on each other? How has your friendship grown? How have you both grown as mothers, you know, because of this, but also because of this friendship? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I remember the first conversation literally that we had 
And I said something like, oh my gosh, sometimes I'm afraid to be alone with my child. And she goes, oh my God, me too. <laughs> and at first I was so scared to say it. Like, you know, looking at you like, you afraid of what? And she was like, me too. And I think that's when we were like, and I think as friends, like our friendship has, you know, definitely blossomed. We're really, really close. She's like my sister and we, you know, we challenge each other. We challenge each other on all levels, whether it's personally able to just like t by telling each other our own experiences, I think it raises us to be better humans in general. But also I think we challenge each other in business and we challenge each other to just do more, do better and raise the stakes so that we can really blow this thing out how we really want to. And Tika's right on. I mean, she's become just such a important part of my life. I mean, like on the lowest days, whether I'm going through something medical or something career-wise, having someone who just gets what you're going through. Um, and, and there's this preconceived idea I had that you couldn't be in business with someone who you're a friend with, right? It, it had to be th these very clear lines in the sand. And what I love about the relationship that we have is that when it's business, it's business, right? Like there's no emotion in that. So we can, like she said, challenge each other on business, you know, agree or disagree deeply about an idea. But the moment afterwards, be just having a very real conversation about whatever's happening, be genuinely concerned about what's happening in each other's lives. And I also love the sugar because there is this in media too often vehicles with multiple black women, right? Because not just us, like there's a black woman on our show every week. And there's this preconceived idea that it has to get catty to be compelling and that there's no sisterhood. And every single conversation we had has just been the sweetest. Even people who might've been project portrayed some way, other way in the media, they come on and we always say, we don't sip tea, we share sugar. It's been the most beautiful, heartfelt conversations. And I just love that. I love that. That um, it's so important, I think now, especially to empower one another. And because, you know, media can depict people in, in different ways, just as media depicted black women with being mothers. But another thing just is in the corporate world, you know, for me personally, everybody is like, oh my goodness, how do you have a child and you play basketball? Well, listen, I pick my child up and she can come to the gym with me. She flies to games with me. She goes to practice with me. Like the team knows if they want me, we're a package deal. The corporate world isn't necessarily like that. So when you had your son and you were kind of navigating that, what were those conversations like? You know, just navigating the corporate world alone, you know, as a woman in general yeah. is challenging. But now with a son, um, yeah you know, having to, to have those conversations and, and make those decisions. I, you know, I was fortunate. I was at um, an entertainment company. We were, I was working at a joint venture that was a joint venture with Lionsgate. And at the time they were evaluating what their, um, you know, parental leave policy was. I think right after I had my son or when I was pregnant with him, I was um, inducted into the ad age 40 under 40 cohort. And that was the first year that they decided to assemble the cohort to tackle a challenge in the industry. And so we picked parental leave. And while I was going out, I was on maternity leave. And at the time, there was no federal, I don't believe there is now either, but there was no federal maternal leave mandate. And, and when they did have them, most of the time, they're more generous to women, which you say, well, of course, the woman just had the baby, right? And if, if that's the construct of your relationship. However, 
Um, it doesn't account for differently configured families, right? It assumes that they're sort of a male, you know, female partnership. The other thing it doesn't do, if you are in a male female partnership, it actually places then a premium on the guys because it says you can't stay out to take the kid. You have to stay in the workforce. It assumes that they would not take the break. So then it puts all the onus on the mom to do the caregiving. So during that time, I was really vocal. And by the way, I acknowledge the privilege that I had, right? I wasn't, I didn't, I had my kid at 36. So I wasn't a junior executive. I was already an executive vice president at a, at a major company. But I remember um, after having a C-section, writing in, and there were so many forms to fill out. I had to do one for the state one for the company, one with my insurance, just to get, and they were giving me my weekly income via three different sources. And then it was delayed and I was behind on my paperwork because of, I, was, I had a C-section. I was in a tremendous amount of pain afterwards. I had some complications. And I wrote to our chief human resources officer and said, do you have any idea what this process is like? Now, I happen to be able to go weeks without getting paid. Can everyone say that? And do you know the paperwork and what you have to navigate to go? And, and then I was, and then it became a thing that I was like interested in documenting because I would just send them an update every week about what this process was like because it was ridiculous. And they changed their parental leave to be, I think, probably one of the more generous ones in the entertainment industry in total. And it's still some mechanisms you have to go through, but you could get up to five months, right? Then I found myself in a situation where now I'm the chief operating officer of these two companies, right? Like two, two of Kevin Hart's companies, and I'm setting the policy. So we just rolled out a new parental leave policy that is just as generous, that allows up to five months, but it's a gender neutral leave, right? Because it's let your partner get back to work. And we're also not going to presume that you're in, you know, a particular type of relationship or partnership. But one of the most important things I think that I had to learn to do, because while I work for a really progressive organization, there are a lot of men in the leadership team, right? And so I had to be, I was very nervous, even though no one put this on me, that if I said I had to do something with my kid, then people would think I'm not as available, not qualified, not as tuned in. So now I, I make a point to say, if I'm going to be out, I am going to a doctor's appointment with my child. My kid doesn't feel well today. Don't call me. And what that does is it actually liberates anyone else who has a child who may not be on the same level to do the same. They don't have to hide the fact that you have a family. Clearly, this is a topic I'm really passionate about. Are you kidding? Like, Ty, I think you, I mean, you said that beautifully. But as, I think also in the acting world, we think like, everybody's having babies now, but like people were not out there in the streets being like, hey, I have a baby, I'm pregnant. People were more so trying to hide it because then they thought, you know, they're not going to work around it. They're going to hire somebody else. It was scary. And especially for black actresses, right? It was like, oh my God, like I have less chances <laughs> right, to do what I have to do, feed my family and do the thing that I'm, I'm here to do. So I really appreciate that. I, I love that you basically implemented that and in, in where you are now. But yeah, I think it's scary. It's a scary notion. And it's like, you want to have kids, you want to do all these things, but the workplace is not friendly sometimes to that. And Ty, I'm, you know, I echo what, what Tika said. Just, I think it's people that are in those positions of decision-making that have to make sure that we change this. Because like you said, something as little as not recognizing that every relationship is not between a man and a woman. Something as simple as recognizing that like, then this puts the onus on the woman to be the primary care. Because, mm. you know, at some point it's, you both have jobs, who misses when the baby is sick? Um, the conversations surrounding that. Uh, and then also, like you said, just 
being able to say, because everybody's child gets sick, <laughs> I'm going to the doctor with my child and people not feeling the need to have to hide having a family. There are so yes. many of my friends that feel like they have to hide being a oh, mom yeah. because somebody is going to hire someone else that may not be a parent. And so I think going through pregnancy and having a child in motherhood in the public eye mm. is different. It, it can be challenging at times because you worry more so about what other people are thinking and especially when it's your livelihood. So Tika, you went through this as an actress <laughs> where, you know, it's, you know, those things are important in, in terms yeah. of what people think. So how was that experience like for you and your family? Oh my gosh. It was kind of like a weird whirlwind because when I was pregnant, I kept it, I kind of kept it out of one. I'm a really private person anyway, and I'm, that's just who I am. And I'm an, I'm an introvert and people are like, what? But like, I am very like, uh, everybody's over there and I'll be, I'm like good at home by myself watching something, probably real housewives. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and so, no, but for me, it was it was something. One, it was like the idea of, okay, everybody's going to ask who done it. You know what I mean? <laughs> who, who's the father? And, and then get in your business that way. And I think I did miss out on some things. I remember walking into an audition and being pregnant and they were like, my team was like, they told them like, but she's going to ha already have the baby by the time this actually goes. But I could tell in the room all they saw was like a belly, right? They couldn't see like, oh, she has the actual talent to do this thing. And so I remember that. And then I was just like, okay, you know what? I'm going to have the baby and then figure it out. Thank God I had that privilege to do that. But it was definitely like a, a, a sense of, okay, how are people going to see me? And if they think I can actually do the job, right? And, and am I going to snap back enough for them to actually do the job? And so... I think, you know, and this whole business is based off of not only talent, but the way you look, right? And so I think that's a scary thing as well. But pregnant women has been the spine of this world's existence for forever, especially Black women. And so I, obviously I got back to work, but I think it's definitely hard, especially if it's a younger person, younger than me, like wanting to have a family at a certain age. There is there is a clock on this thing, right? Like I th I, I think we think we all can do it whenever and we can do IVF, but not everybody has the money for IVF, right? And medical situations occur, right? So it is better probably a little younger. And so I always try to speak up about, you know, now like pregnancy. And I'm glad that Tyle so speaking up about parental leave, because I think when you're younger in this industry, it's harder to say the things that you need. And I remember somebody, a friend of mine, I remember we were at this event. She's a well-known actress. And she's like, Tika, how do you ask for like, like a bigger trailer or like, if you need to bring help, if you, and I was like, girl, open your mouth and ask. They want you ask. Closed mouths do not get fed. And I said, if I can get it, I know you can get it. And she's like, okay. So sometimes you just got to be there with the person to say, no, 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 ask. Don't be scared. Just do it. And so sometimes your strength and your energy, you got to give to somebody else so that they can do the thing that they have to do to get what they need. What you said about age, and this is going to be a very unpopular opinion, perhaps, because like you said, we can do everything. We just can't do it all at once. This is what I'm telling you I wish someone had told me because 
doctors don't mince words once you get to this point, right? One, the fact that I was 36, people were already saying I was a geriatric pregnancy. But when I was 34 and I was trying to freeze my eggs and I found out that I had a critically low egg reserve and that I had very low egg quality, two of the main factors that feed into fertility, I was very confused. I was like, wait, I did everything I was supposed to do, right? I, I've been heads down in my career, climbing the corporate ladder, right? Like VP before 30, like married at 30. I did everything in the sequence. And it's like, yeah, that's great, right? But your body is aging. It's a matter of fact that women are born with all the eggs that you're going to have, period. And while men can keep going forever, and by the way, there are plenty of super fertile people in their 40s, but the way that science works is your egg reserve declines over time, right? And that there are higher risk over time. I am not trying to scare anyone. I'm saying Black women are one of the fastest growing segments of advanced degree holders in this country the fastest growing segments of entrepreneurs. And it takes time to do that. And it takes time while we're young. We're spending our time doing it. If, by the way, and maybe you don't want kids. It's not for everybody. But if you do, your body is something that you have to consider, right? And I would just say be in active communication with whomever your OBGYN is. There are all kinds of things that you can do to preserve fertility, right? You can freeze your eggs young. You don't have to worry about it later, right? As long as you got a good uterus. There are all kinds of paths to parenthood. And if you don't care about your eggs are conceiving naturally or carrying yourself, you have a lot more options later. But I see so many women who are heartbroken when they get to that age where they're like, I've checked all the boxes, now I'm 40, now I want to do it, and it's a harder road, right? I wish someone had told me that earlier so that I just had more options. And I also think just adding to that, like those conversations, but also having corporations and businesses and places of where you work, being able to obviously enhance that experience. I, I play yeah. for the WNBA and up until this last CBA, we did not have fertility in our, they didn't cover it. Our employer did not help cover it at all. And it's a league full of women that play into their late thirties. And so I myself just went through that process of, you know, freezing my eggs and having these conversations with some of my teammates that don't know. So like you said, it is important to have these conversations because a lot of people, like you say, they check the box, they do what they're supposed to, you know, I want to do this by 30. I want to whatever. And then you get to the point where you didn't have this information. Um, I think it's important as black women to continue to have this conversation about race. And there was an article I read that you spoke about how, you know, your daughter is a, is, is a biracial child. Mm -hmm. And that her experience navigating this country, because I think we, we talk so much about experience and position and it's one, you know, one way or whatever. And now we have a world full of dynamic <laughs> individuals that come from different backgrounds. So how have those conversations with you and your husband's family and also with your daughter, Ben, I know she's young, but how are, how do you, how do you have those conversations? Cause she seems like she's, she's 20. <laughs> You know, I'm really grateful for Nick's family because one, they were like, you know, they're super accepting and they love me. And, you know, especially when the racial reckoning happened, they were obviously appalled about everything that's going on. They were concerned for their grandchild. They're concerned for their future daughter-in-law. Nick and I have these conversations. We're super, super open. He's seen me angry. He's seen me Hopeful, he's seen me in every variation and he knows who he brought into this world. And so, you know, one, we want to 
raised just a human who's good to other humans. You know what I mean? And we just try to surround her with good people. And, you know, obviously see watching things and seeing people who look like her. um, But she is going to grow up with a different experience than me. Right. There's going to be partial. But I also don't want to put my my stuff on her. Right. Like, I don't want to load her up, but I want to make sure that she is educated on what what's going on in the world. And hopefully, who knows, that generation or the generation before them might change a few things, like generations behind us have changed some things. Um, So, oh, she came home one day and she's like, mom, you know, white people didn't want black people in schools. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) I was like, what? She's like, yeah. And I was like, uh, what? And so I was like, Thank God, like literally I read her this book called Ruby Bridges about the Ruby Bridges story. And I was like, oh yeah, you remember that book I read? She was like, oh yeah, 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 okay. And so it wasn't like, cause I was like, white people are, oh Lord, what, are, what am I gonna say? And it was nerve wracking to me. Cause I'm like, now I gotta break open the book of like, you know, history books and, you know, and, but the conversation was basically over after that. <laughs> so I like to say, take it. Like I take things little by little, piece by piece. They're four and five years old. They're not going to have to know the whole history of black people right now. Um, They don't need to know the plight. (laughs) They don't need to know the European colonization of the world right now. I'm like, let her just be joyful. She's going to find out about it all. And she's going to do what she will with with the actual information. I absolutely love it. Um, You know, I think that these are the conversations that we're having because you're right. We talk a lot about media and they portray Black people as you cannot be Black and strong and pro and, and date or marry somebody outside of your race. What has that experience been like, just dealing with that? So, I mean, look, I've dated every, well, not every, but I've dated a lot of different people and I've dated a lot of black men. I've dated a lot, like, and that's the thing, I'm quiet with my dating. And so you will never know unless I tell you, or unless you just know somebody who knew somebody and was like, oh yeah. Um, (laughs) But like, I here's how I think. I'm like, I ain't got to sleep with you. In your bed, I ain't got to eat your food. I, you, you ain't got to pay my mortgage. I ain't got to pay yours. You ain't going on no trips with me. I ain't flying you out. So you do you, boo, and I'll do me. I had another quote, but you know what? Mic trap. That is a mic trap right there. That's it for this episode of Moments with Candace Parker. Thank you so much to Tika Sumter and Ty Randolph. Got a question, a story, or a moment you'd like to share? Leave a voicemail at 732-889-3358. If you'd like to learn more about the show, you can follow us on Twitter at WMN Media or on Instagram at WMN.media. You can also follow me, Candice, on Instagram at Candice Parker. Moments with Candice Parker is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Maddie Foley and Brittany Martinez with help from Alessandra Tejeda. Our executive producers are Robin Roberts and Jenny Kaplan. Special thanks to our exclusive season sponsor, Capital One. Thanks again. See you later.